Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Stone Payton here with Business Radio X. This is my favorite Tuesday of the month. Please join me in welcoming back to the studio, but for the first time in 2019, for our signature show, Tuesdays with Corey, Mr. Corey Rick. How are you, man? Stone, I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well. Did you have a good holiday? Did you get a chance to just back off a little bit and chill out and get prepared for the new year? I did. I'm, I'm glad you didn't ask me if I behaved, but yes, I did chill out and relax a little bit, but I appreciate you asking. Oh, I know we have so many fantastic shows to look forward to with Tuesdays with Corey in 2019. Can't think of a better way to kick it off than uh, with what you got planned for today. Tell us about your guest today. Well, we have a great guest today. Uh, her name is Yelena Apova, and she is the partner in charge of international services at Aprio. Yelena, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. You know, on Tuesdays with Corey, we have uh, exemplary uh, women that are uh, successful female executives, and we've got a great show today. Yelena, you've successfully built this part of Aprio, but you haven't always lived in the United States. No, I haven't. I, I feel like I've lived here all my life now. I've been here longer than I've been in Russia. I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, and I moved here in 1990. 1990. Right before the Soviet Union collapsed. And what brought you over to the United States? Well, um, I was lucky uh, to be able to leave at the time. A lot of people wanted to leave. Why, why is that? Well, I mean, you heard a lot about Soviet Union, right? It wasn't the best place to be in necessarily. Um, my mother is Jewish, so at that mm -hmm. point of time, uh, it was one good time to be Jewish in Russia or in the Soviet Union. So. Um, they opened the border at that time for Jews to leave. That's how I was able to leave. And um, I already had some family here in Atlanta who left 10 years before. They always played this open the border, close the border <laughs> in, in the Soviet Union. So they left, you know, before me. Um, and then they closed the border for 10 years. And Really? Um, when they reopened it, I, I just graduated from college. I was already married. So my husband and I... Uh, moved at the time and then my parents followed and his parents followed so we have a lot of I have a lot of family here tell the listenership about growing up in Russia oh, we only have one hour right? <laughs> I mean I um, I have good memories I'm from St. Petersburg, which is a very cultural place. It used to be called Leningrad at the time yeah. I lived there. Um, it's a beautiful city. It's a very unique place. It's a very cultural place. So from that angle, I was very privileged. I was exposed to a lot of art, architecture, music, um, ballet, opera, classical music, um, just, you know, beauty of the city. And people are very warm Um Maybe despite, despite the common belief, the Ru Russians are very warm people. So um, that part was great. That's um, been my experience with you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm very Americanized, though. <laughs> uh, but the, the economic situation was bad. Um, it was uh, obviously a very closed country run by communists, and we couldn't travel anywhere. Um, we... Uh, 
we're not allowed really to know the truth about the rest of the world. So our opinion was definitely twisted on, sure. on um, people from other countries and um, didn't have much in stores, didn't have much to buy, you know, didn't have much food or clothes. Um, it was... Um, from that point of view, it was challenging. I lived, when I was born, I lived in what, what's called communion living apartments. So we had six families living in one apartment. And me, Hold on a second. Yeah. How, how many square feet was the apartment that you were living in? Um, I, I can tell you, my, me, my grandmother, my mom, and my father, we lived in one room. So that room, I would say... Maybe, um, I don't know, 500 square feet, um, maybe even less. Huh. And then other families had a room per family. We all shared one kitchen. I mean, the kitchen was much bigger than your typical kitchen, but we shared that. And we had one bathroom that we shared. So I think we probably had 20 plus people living there sharing one bathroom. Uh. <laughs> I'm not even really sure how to follow that up. That that must have uh, uh, you've done so many great things. And how did growing up in Russia prepare you for for all the successes and everything that you're experiencing now? Well, you kind of learn to um, adapt, first of all, to different circumstances. Right. That's certainly a word I would use that you've picked up on very well. Yeah, and, and um, you just, um, you, you don't feel entitled, uh, which sometimes I do see here, of course. In the United States, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, every now and then, not, not, not all the time. I, I feel like, um, especially the kids, you know, growing, in, including my children, they were born here. I mean, they have a lot of that enti- entitled feeling, of course, which... Um, it's hard to change because they live in a great country, right? Um, that can give them everything and anything. And I spoil them a little bit too. <laughs> but um, is is that because of how your of, uh, because of your experience growing up? You you know you've done so well. You wanted to maybe give them a few more things, maybe than maybe what you had. No, um, definitely. I, I I'm glad they don't have to experience the childhood I had. Oh, again, I don't want to say it was bad. It was just I understand. different. Um, I mean, I think in some way they missing out on some things I had, you know, like I said, exposure to the culture I had in St. Petersburg. But um, yes, I think in some way I may be overcompensating a little bit for what I had to go through. So they don't have to go through that. Yeah, I don't. I think uh, that that seems that seems plausible. I mean, it seems that uh, every parent, I think, wants to give their kids a better time than what they had. And it sounds like, unquestionably, you've done that. Yeah, I um, I mean, I still, in Russia, the one good thing that I got there was education. Education mm-hmm. was super important. My family always had that emphasis on education, even that... Um, Technically, you couldn't do much with education. Um, I mean, there were not great jobs. So, I mean, definitely not great, great paying jobs. And um, it was a communist country, so people did not have their own businesses. They worked for government-owned um, enterprises. So <laughs> maybe education 
was not as important there as it is here, but definitely there was an emphasis in my family and many other families. And, and that's one thing I um, definitely emphasize with my children. Education is super important. So um, they're, they're good students and, and you know, I'm, that doesn't I'm happy really about that. That doesn't surprise me that they're good students. Well, thank you. Thank you. It. You've had educational experience in Russia and in the United States. Mm-hmm. How are the two experiences different? I, I would say are they different? They they are different. Um, I have my masters in mechanical engineering from Russia. I never worked as an engineer, but I well, we're going to come back to that. Yeah, but the college there was much more intense. Definitely, it, it was. Um, how harder. so? How so? Many more hours, much more homework. Uh, we college was Monday through Saturday, mm. um, five years, intense. It, I mean, very hard um, to study there. And here, when I came here, I um, my challenge was, of course, the language. I mean, I I did learn some English in school in Russia. Um, I had good foundation grammar, you know, but my vocabulary was very small. And um, when I moved here, to be honest with you, on the flight from New York to Atlanta, I didn't even realize the pilot was speaking English. <laughs> I could not, my ear could not pick up um, what he was saying. And we learned British English. And of course, um, this is American English. Plus, he was from the South. So he had Southern accent. And it took me a long time. Yeah, we have our own language down here. <laughs> yes, you do. And I'm still working on my Southern accent. But <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get there. But um, but language was a challenge for me. And, and I went to school here a year after I moved. So I went to Georgia State. And um, That's I'll, an excellent school. I've heard nothing but good things about them. It, it's a great school. It gave me a very good foundation. I went at night. I didn't have a luxury to be a um, normal sort of daytime, full-time student. I had to work from you know almost day one when I moved here. But um, I was very scared that I'm not going to understand anything. And I'll tell you, the first few times I... Um, I attended classes. It was very, very challenging. But, you know, you train your ear. And I, I think I probably had to work a little harder than most students just to even understand what, what the teacher was talking about. How did you get up to speed on English when you came over here? Um, it, it was more, um, I, I never took any classes here because I, like I said, I had English in, in school and in college in Russia. But it was more by um, just interactions and I um, read some books myself. I, I watched a lot of TV just to train my ear. Which um, TV shows? <laughs> there were no, we, we, I don't know. I don't think we even had cable. I remember for some reason we had a lot of horror, horror movies that we watched. <laughs> I, I, every, every night there was not a horror movie on. So, um, But, I mean, it was more with just communicating with people and... Um, watching TV, listening, listening to the radio, reading. I mean, reading wasn't an issue. Understanding was an issue. And um, speaking, I'm some, in some way, I'm a perfectionist. So I I'm, never would have picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I was afraid to say things when I knew that maybe it wasn't the perfect way to say it. Yeah. 
So um, it, it, that was probably the hardest part, just um, being um, in a culture where people don't understand you and you don't understand them. So it took me it took me actually longer than I thought to get fluent. Well, I, I think given given the fact that you changed uh, countries and you're moving uh, to a country that is a new language, I, th- I think uh, that's a that's a lot of adjustments. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I was lucky because I was very young. I just turned twenty two when I moved here. So you weren't you weren't old enough to be scared? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I had many more years to learn, right? <laughs> and I, I was really um, I was determined to to make this. That doesn't my strike country. me as a trait of yours either. <laughs> yes, um, but it, you you have to understand. Even that I left a country that I would say was screwed up in many different ways that was my country those were my people Um, and I had to justify to myself that the move was the right move right so I probably tried a little harder but most immigrants do you still think it's the right move right of course I do yeah I would never I love Russia I do go back every year or every two years sometimes for business um, to Moscow or for pleasure to St. Petersburg but yeah, I would never move back um, permanently, and I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate to be here. I love this country, and I'm so fortunate to have my kids being born here. Well, I think after knowing you and knowing how you apply yourself, and how intelligent you are, and how diligent you are, I think you've been. Uh, I think you've earned your fortune. I mean, I think you've certainly uh, applied yourself, and uh, you built a great. Uh, business and a great life over here. So that doesn't surprise me that you would say that. Well, thank you. And and I, I definitely worked super hard, but I think um, there's always some element of luck too. you know, being in the right place at the right time, working with the right people, sure. having the right mentors, things like that. So I don't discount that. Who do you think influenced you early on when you came over here? And, and what did you learn from, from that mentor or mentors? I really... Um, I would say my biggest mentor is my mother. Um, I mean, she's an electrical engineer. She moved here in her um, mid-40s. She she wasn't as lucky as as I was to to come here young. So it was much harder for her. But she always, you know, she was so happy that I was here. I'm the only child. Mm. Um, And she always... um, stood behind me and, and, and motivated me to do very well. So, I mean, I did it for myself too, of but course. I did it for her as yeah. well. I understand that. I think, uh, is that why you started uh, school with engineering? Is because of your mom's influence and seeing um, what she did? I would say not really. There were two reasons. One, I was really good with numbers, so I loved math. Which, well, you're probably in the li- right line of work if you're good with numbers. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still love numbers, but um, I loved math, and I I mean that was one of the reasons. Um, another reason, being Jewish, my choices were somewhat limited to where I could go. Um, mm. I mean, it wasn't official policy that you cannot go to this college or that college, but oh, some colleges would never take Jews ever. Um, the reason was, well, I guess there was government-supported anti-Semitism. 
in Russia, and also um, because a lot of Jews tried to leave the country. I see. Education was free, so they didn't want to give free education to people who are going to leave at some point. Sure. So am I, like, was I growing up thinking I want to be an engineer? This is my passion. Not really. And, um, you know, once I got into engineering after taking all, all my favorite math prerequisites. Um, Did you just say favorite math prerequisites yeah I, I really enjoyed math but Russians are obsessed with math you have to understand it's um it's hard to explain you know and all of our children you know we always have an emphasis on math yeah um so but once I started taking engineering I was like this is probably not for me but um you know, I finished college and I moved and this was a good opportunity for me to do something else. A, because I could not get a job as an engineer. I had no experience. A, my English was very bad. And then um, technology in Russia at that time was very outdated. So I had to go back to school no matter what. So I decided I'll go back and do something else. How do you mean that the technology was outdated in Russia? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, just we didn't have you know that the level of technology that was already here and probably one of the reasons is there was no free enterprise um you know very old computers whatever we had very old machines um very old equipment um so if i would to become an engineer here i would have to learn almost from scratch hmm so you get over to America, you work, and you decide to uh, explore the field of accounting. Yeah, I, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't sure what to do here. I knew I don't want to do engineering. I, I'll tell you, people ask me, how did, how did you decide on becoming an accountant? And well, that was one of the next questions. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> and this, I, I wish I would tell you something more sexy. It was very... Um, <laughs> boring way to decide. I bought at the time Atlanta Journal Constitution. The classified section was who knows how many pages. I think 50% of those pages were accounting. So I was like, okay, I think um, this is with numbers and there are many jobs and this is going to be a good way for me to get a job at some point. That, that's how the decision was made. It wasn't a very thoughtful decision. I just needed to get a job. But it it seems to me, it looks to me like it was the right one. No, it was definitely the right one. Yeah. How did you know, you know, that you didn't really want to, that you wanted to sort of move away from your background in engineering and your education and, and go into accounting? I just didn't have that passion anymore. Yeah. Um, and like I said, when, when I started taking engineering classes, I, I, I just could not see myself doing that for the rest of my life. So um, it was a good time for me to, to switch. Where did you start your accounting career? What company? And, and tell us about the kind of work you did. Um, well, when I was in college at night, I took all kind of jobs. And I, w I was, um, I worked for Home Depot and the account, accounts payable department. I worked for a doctor's office as an office manager. I worked for Pearson's wine and liquor store for two years when I was in college. Um, and I, I did bookkeeping, office manager kind of job. And then 
my first real accounting job was with Apria or Hey Before I Get In Win at the yeah. time that was H&W later and now Apria. So I've been with the same company my whole accounting career. I'll tell you, I was at Georgia State and I had two job offers um, as I was graduating. One was from ENY and one was from Apria. And the reason I took Apria, not because I put too much thought into it, but because they wanted me right away. And ENY, I think they wanted me like in six months. Hmm. I couldn't wait. Well, and, and Aprio, formerly Habe Farragetti and Wynn, I mean, they're uh, a, a huge name, uh, certainly uh, in the South and across the United States. They've done a pretty good job of, with their diversity, have they not? Yes, but it, interestingly enough, I was the first foreign-born employee hired there. So, And um, when was that? I started there um, at the very end of 1993. Wow, 25 years. Yeah, One actually, I just, I just celebrated my 25th Congratulations. anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so it was a much smaller company at the time. Um, the focus was on smaller businesses at the time and, you know, wealthy individuals. We, I don't believe we represented any global companies. And um, I was, the f like I said, first foreign employee there. First one with an accent. <laughs> um and when I got there, I didn't have a vision. I'm, I didn't have a vision to build international practice. I had a vision to hold on to a job. <laughs> that was my vision. And um, maybe a year or two into it, um, my partner, Mitchell Koppelman, who um, is my partner now as well, um, he, he actually was the one who had a vision to start doing some international work. And he kind of took me a little bit under his wing and we started working together more and um, he sent me to some conferences um, to learn a little bit about international tax where I was completely lost. Um, so, but he, I'm he, completely lost just for the record, just hearing about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a good thing. Don't, don't have regrets about that. But um, that, that kind of planted a state in my head about potentially taking this to the different level mm. and and um, we started getting some companies with international presence and as clients and we learned more and, and more and more and started hiring more employees from other countries. I, I know some of them came there because of me, because they heard of me, you know, being foreign and being successful there. There was a real draw for um, international people at and right now, um, we have about 25% of our workforce foreign-born, and we wow. speak 30 languages at the firm. How many people work at your firm? We have um, a little bit over 500. 500. Mm -hmm. They've really grown over the years. They've uh, got a mm -hmm. tremendous name. They, they've, I know that you know, the feedback that I get on the organization is that they do tremendous work and a lot of, lot of respect in the marketplace, no question. Well, thank you. Thank you. We, we work hard, and, but we also have fun. We, we kind of like each other for the most part. So we, that helps. Yeah. And it, it's one of the reasons I stayed um, with the company because I had options throughout the years to take another job. And I mean, like everybody else, you look around, you interview, and I am so glad I, I stayed. And I felt um, the main reason I stayed was the people. 
definitely yeah. that I worked with. And also I felt like I never had any walls built, built in front of me. I mean, I had um, a vision, I had ideas, and the company was very supportive. And I, I'm just lucky. I by pure, <laughs> by pure luck, I, I I went to work there and was able to do what I what I've done. Well, that's certainly a ringing endorsement for Aprio. The fact that you didn't feel there's any boundaries, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly there haven't been, because obviously you perform, but you know you've uh, you've you've uh, gone up in the ranks, and that's just a, to me that's a tremendous. Uh, endorsement for the company. It's a great company. And the fact that you've been there 25 years. Right, right. And we have quite a few people um, who've been there all their professional career. Um, And we have been selected an employer of choice uh, for a few years now. And um, it's a great place. It's a great place if you want to do something with your career. Yeah. Yeah. So you travel a good bit, I would imagine, right? I travel um, not excessively, but I travel far. What is it? What is excessively? Well, you know, some people get on a plane every week. I wouldn't be able to live that lifestyle. I I would say I go to Europe um, mostly four or five times a year, and then here in the U.S. mostly New York, Miami, L.A. Um, our clients are headquartered out of all fifty states. Mm. And of course, the the big the biggest concentration of our clients are in Southeast. But um, you know, we have clients all over the U.S. That probably explains why the company has exploded and grown so much over the years, right? I mean, you have clients everywhere. You've got a good name. You do good work. True, and we we keep adding different services. So um, that's that's definitely a reason why we've grown so much. But also the fact that we have such a Unusual international practice and you know, people with so many backgrounds, um, the word is out there. So we, we, we get approached by companies from all over. What percentage of your time do you spend uh, traveling domestically versus internationally? Is it split evenly or is... It's more internationally, for sure. Uh, when I travel internationally, there are several reasons. Sometimes it's conferences. Sometimes it's um, speaking um, engagements where I go um, and I speak, um, do presentations for companies who want to start business in the U.S. Um, and, you know, every time when I'm somewhere, I also visit clients. So if... if or prospects. If a company wants to start a business in the U- in the United States, I'll, I'll bet you're a tremendous. You personally are a tremendous resource to guide them. And what kinds of things do you guide them on? Well, we definitely guide them on on um, on the structure, on tax structures, on choice of entity, on how um, to um, move people here if they if they need to move people here. How to um, how to grow profitably, how to start everything right, minimize risks, but also take advantage of all the tax planning opportunities. And, you know, we provide a lot of other services besides tax, so we can um, help with a lot of different aspects of accounting and audit and valuation and mergers and acquisitions. I mean, there are a lot of things we do. So we, we, we like to take clients on that have a future. I mean, obviously a lot of companies start and they have big plans, but 
Some companies there, they want to remain very small. They don't have big aspirations. I think they're perfect for somebody who has plans, uh, who wants to grow, who wants to grow profitably and entrepreneurial in nature. Well, I think if you're, if you're able to sort of provide the blueprint and the boundaries, uh, you know, somebody that has the will and the entrepreneurship, if you will, I mean, would certainly benefit by if they wanted to start a company here by engaging you and your company's services. I mean, that's incredibly helpful to have the coaching behind the scenes to say, you know, do this, not that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important to start right because it's going to be much more right. expensive you know, to, to fix things down the road. And um, we also, we we, um, we we don't oversell. We don't necessarily, for startups, we don't say you need this and this and this when they don't. We, we know exactly what they need. And we also refer business out to um, lawyers and bankers and uh, people like yourself. And um, we, we, we know when they need an outside advisor for something we cannot provide. Yeah. That's uh, consultative. It seems like your approach is very consultative in nature, which I think, you know, business owners are looking for. They, they want to be able to talk to somebody that's an independent third party and get a sort of an unvarnished opinion about what they should do. Um, and yeah, obviously, your, your organization has uh, built a great enough brand where, you know, they've, they've done a great job giving that advice. Thank you. We... Um our goal is to be business partners with our clients. We don't just provide tax and audit and debits and credits. We um, want to be a trusted advisor. They come to us for everything. You just said something that I think is uh, resonates with me personally. You know, somebody that wants to be a business partner, uh, somebody is going to not try and sell you something all the time. That's going to actually try to work with you. That's going to work with you on your timeline you know, be loyal. Uh, all those things, I think, are being a business partner is really a crucial thing um, uh, for anybody in the in a service type business. I think. I agree, and and that's what makes our clients feel more comfortable with yeah. us too. Um, I think very early on they realized that we're not there just to sell, but also help them grow. And I mean, when they grow, it helps us too because we can provide more services. We and um, they can make more money as well. Yeah. What gets what gives you the most gratification when you're working with a client and helping them? Um, that really the biggest thing is when I feel that they come to me for everything. They come for not just tax advice. Yeah. I mean, they come for business advice. Sometimes they come for personal advice. Yeah. I, I, I have no intention to become somebody, somebody's therapist, but I am friends with a lot of, yeah. of my clients. And um, that that's probably the, the biggest um, pleasure that I get outside of, you know, obviously the obvious growing practice, making money, um, but also... Um, just being appreciated um, and being valued, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's really big in my book. I think that you, aside from the money and the income, I think when a client comes to you and they start asking things, asking you things that are not related to business, I think it means that they're really a client if they start asking you about things that really aren't related to the business that you're doing. It's, it's really an endorsement to me. 
I agree. It means that they feel... You may not always want to hear what they have to say, but... True, um, true. Sometimes it's like, okay, it's TMI, but... <laughs> but it's a compliment. It's Would a you compliment. Agree? I, I agree. And it means that they really trust you. Yeah. It means you've done a tremendous job of, of gathering gaining their trust and you, you know you've obviously done that through your performance and advice and so on uh, to me that's um, that's a big compliment even though it might be awkward or uncomfortable to hear it's certainly uh, you know um, a declaration of their trust in you definitely I agree with that so with with your with what you're doing you're giving domestic and international companies uh, tax advice, but you're also helping them with other tax planning strategies. True. Um, we, we do help companies when they're coming here, structure their operations, obviously figure out what type of entity they need, you know, how to um, do business here in the U.S. And, and we do the same for American companies that are going global. Um, we're helping them structure operations outside of the U.S. We, we're part of an um, affiliation called Morrison KSI. So I, I'm not claiming to be an expert in every country's tax law. There is no way somebody will, <laughs> will claim that. So when we need somebody in a um, different country, we, we get them engaged. But um, in addition to obviously tax planning, tax structure, we um, provide all kind of traditional services, audit accounting um, we um, as I mentioned we do a lot of M&A work a lot of companies coming here and they don't want to do everything from scratch they want to acquire hmm. so we help them um, not with investment banking we don't help identifying the target unless we have a client who wants to sell and we're happy to partner them but we, we're helping them structure the acquisition the right way we do due diligence services things like that we also we do a lot of tax credits work. So um, even with the rates going down, you know, rates went down in 2018 tax rates, um, there's still a lot of opportunities to get them down even more. Do you have specific tax credits mm -hmm. that you're looking at? Or, or, I mean, I know there's a number of them, but do you have any that you specialize in or that... We have a really large R&D tax credit practice. We, I think there are over 30 people there now, research and development tax credits. Wow. Um, I, I would say any tech company, any manufacturing distribution company, a lot of service companies qualify for that. It's a huge benefit. Hmm. Um, sometimes when we get a new client and they haven't claimed the credit in the past, they go back and claim the credit and get refunds for them. It's, it's a huge benefit. Um, and a huge way for us to get clients because it's 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 money in your pocket. You're giving that, away money. Exactly. Wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> that 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 makes a difference to clients. You giving them money. That's a, that's an easy way to sell. <laughs> yeah, but there are a lot of other credits. You know, R and D is definitely the biggest one. But um, if it, if you look at Georgia, for example, there's a jobs credit, there's investment credit, there's retraining credit. But other states have them. T you know, different types of credits as well. And and this. Uh, things that we um, always look at and obviously cli clients love it if they can reduce their tax rate or get refunds so just put more money in their pockets are there specific clients that you're looking to help them with tax credits I mean I know you mentioned the manufacturing technology but uh, I mean is this something that 
you, I'm sure, I'm assuming you have uh, access to other tax credits for other business owners. Um, yeah, that I might mean, make an impact for them. Yeah, we we do. Georgia is very big. If you look at Georgia on the Georgia, um, Georgia tax um, level, is very big for film and gaming credit. Oh yeah. Um, we've done a lot of that work, and I mean that's one of the reasons a lot of movies are made here now. I want to say it's because Atlanta is so beautiful, but there, there's another reason for that too. Um, so we do a lot of that um, work, and those credits are sellable too. Yeah. So. How does that work? So let's say you are a gaming company. You develop online games, right? And you, um, we help you claim the credit. You cannot monetize the credit yet because you're maybe not in a tax-paying position yet. You can sell that credit to somebody who wants it. So hmm. um, normally it's, they go for about 99 cents on the dollar now. So the buyer saves, I don't know, 10, 9, 8%. On, on, on their taxes and the seller obviously can monetize right away instead of waiting until they become profitable. I, that's a whole nother, it seems to me that that's a whole nother uh, piece of the accounting and tax pie, the whole tax credit thing. And, and you know, I have noticed, uh, you know, certainly a lot of movies are being made here in Atlanta, and I figured it had something to do with the tax law or credits mm -hmm. or what have you. But it seems to me that more and more movies are being made here. True. And, and, and Georgia is very smart about that because yeah. there are not many states who have those credits. Um, so I, it definitely boosted the economy here. Yeah, I would I would say so. There's something else in, you know, the other things that you help people with. I mean, obviously, you're involved in a lot of different things, but you help them with inbound and outbound operations. And what, what is that exactly? So, as I mentioned, we help structure um, the, you know, the investment in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. And then uh, we guide them through everything that needs to be done as far as compliance, of course but also any planning opportunities we can capture here or in a foreign country. Like, like I mentioned, R&D credits, we do um, those credits now, not just here, but in the UK. We just rolled this out to the United Kingdom. We now um, do this work outside of the US. The next step, um, stop will be Australia. So we, we're gonna start doing it there. Um, so really, we help from all angles, but the, the, the main goal is to help them grow, grow profitably and also minimize risks. What a tremendous advantage, uh, you know, just from the standpoint of structuring, you know, setting up the right company, the right structure, uh, I'm sure getting the right, you know, managing the risk appropriately. Those are, you know, getting the, uh, uh, you know, engagement documents uh, drafted and drawn up uh, appropriately. But what a huge advantage to have somebody that kind of does this every day, like your organization. Thank you. And and we, what we all always have in mind also, even when the company is starting up, when we choose the structure, we think about the exit. That even that exit, maybe many years from now, um, we take into consideration tax implications of the exit. So. Um, the structure is very much dependent on, of course, current operations, but also, you know, what, what's going to happen when the company sells. I bet you're very, very helpful there because you're able to 
help minimize the taxes, maybe uh, help them, uh, you know, uh, apply the gain, any gains appropriately and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, we, we, um, we, we like to look ahead. We want to understand where the client is going, what their plans are. How soon do they want to exit? Do they ever want to exit? Maybe they want to have succession planning with their family. Um, so we, we look at all of that when we, even when the company is just starting up here, we um, try to get a good understanding of a long-term plan. Do you find that some business owners are reluctant to consider the exit and the planning that goes with it? Some do, I mean, but in most cases, if you look at the foreign companies coming here, they do want to exit at some point. I mean, if you look at um, U.S. companies that are owned by family, right, um, very often it's, it's, it's such an emotional decision. Yeah. Um, and, and in many cases, they do want kids to take over and they don't want to exit, they're in denial. But the truth, the truth of the story is that kids <laughs> sometimes don't want to take over. <laughs> They have other plans and aspirations, so but we have to look at all the options. Yeah, certainly you do. Do you ever do you ever find with clients that you're advising that the people that they're picking to uh, succeed them are inappropriate or unsuited for the job? And if so, how do you how do you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Sometimes people insert their children in the company when children are not ready or they're not interested. They don't have passion for 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 that. Um, of course, you look at different generations, and everybody's different. And um, um, we, I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer in in telling the truth, even that sometimes it can be painful. But you know, I provide advice, so it's it's up to the client whether they want to take the advice or not. Yeah. Do you find that your experience in education and engineering helps you uh, with what you're doing now? I think with technology companies it does. I probably understand a little bit more of what they do than your average CPA just based on my um, background. Um, you know, my math background also, but you know, just the way of thinking, I guess. Are there similarities with the acumen that is required to be a good engineer and, and a good CPA and a good advisor like you are now? It's hard to tell because I've never been an engineer, <laughs> you know. I have that background, but I've never worked as such. And um, I, I mean, I, I think no matter what you do, Corey, you, you have to be passionate you have yeah. to like it because you do spend a lot of time at work right so yeah. you have to like it that's why i'm glad i got out of engineering i would be miserable right yeah. we do have we always say there's an 80 20 rule i mean if it's 90 10 it's great if you like your job 90 percent of the time and 10 percent of the time you just have to suck it up you're good 80 20 is okay if it goes below 80 you you may want to um think about it to make some changes and see how you can make yourself happier. I mean, I sometimes, you know, I hear people on Sunday night saying, oh my God, Monday's coming, I have to go back to work. I mean, I'm not going to say that I jump out of bed every morning ready to go, but... I don't I think don't, anybody does that's speaking honestly. Yeah, but I, I, I do love what I do and I don't have those thoughts on Sunday night yeah. that the week is going to start and I have to, you know, be in this miserable situation because I, I, I really enjoy my job. I'm very, very lucky. 
And maybe the reason that you don't have those thoughts on Sunday night is is because of the perspective that you have. You've uh, had the perspective of growing up with a, a large family in a small apartment. Uh, you know kind of what uh, the lifestyle, uh, this is how I see it. Uh, you know kind of where you've been in terms of uh, growing up. And you see, I see how you've succeeded and you've gone over here and it's different. And you had that perspective. And I think that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, it's part of it. The big part of it is also the fact that I do enjoy what I do. And I mean, most of my days, they go very fast. I'm very busy. I yeah. do a lot of different things. I, I'm very um, fortunate to be able to do different things throughout the day. It's not the same operation over yeah. and over and over. And I like that. And then my favorite thing is dealing with people, you know, employees and clients yeah. and giving advice and training and um, feeling appreciated for that. How do you unplug? Do you unplug? Oh, I, I, yes, I do. <laughs> what uh, does that mean? Um, you have to unplug, right? I try not to take work home when I say not physically, but mentally. I'm not saying that I will, I, I will check emails at night. And, you know, if I have an emergency client can always call me, but I, I have a lot of hobbies. I mean, I have two children. I mean, one is already in college. One is still with me last year in, um, in high school. So I try to be with them as much as I can. Sure. I play piano. I like to read. I <laughs> nothing nothing super exciting about that, but I, I, I watch Netflix and Hulu just like everybody else does. Um, I work out. Um, I, I enjoy it. I don't do as much as I need to, but I think everybody can say that. Um, I travel for pleasure as well. I take my children to a different destination every year. This hmm. um, um, past summer, we went to Portugal for a week. How was that? That was amazing. We really enjoyed it. We spent time in Lisbon and then rented a car, took them to the coast and, you know, went to little towns and spent time um, in a resort. And it was just amazing. I, I, I am fortunate they, that they still want to spend time with me. Um, so it's three of us. I'm divorced now. And um, the, my vacations with them are super special. Um, of course, I don't take them to bad destinations either, but they they really looking forward to vacations with me. We're already talking about what we're going to do this coming summer. It sounds like you've succeeded in your relationship with your kids, just like you've succeeded in uh, the business that you're in. Yeah, I'm not perfect. You know, my kids, you know, they're 22 and 17. So 22 year old is sort of a grown up, but in some ways still a teenager in my head. The 17 year old, it's a boy. He's a senior in high school. He knows everything and anything. <laughs> <laughs> Stone, you were never there, were you? Um, I mean, I cannot say that it's all smooth sailing. And, um, you know, I have my own beliefs and demands, but for the most part, they're good. But yeah. we do fight every now and then. Yeah. So when you when you took the CPA exam, you set a pretty high mark there, didn't you? I was in absolute shock how well I did. So a lot of people say I overstudied. I probably overstudied. But my biggest goal was to take it once. And I achieved that. So you won an award for that, right? I got the highest score in Georgia at the time. Again, I'm... St what, what, okay, what does that mean? 
Um, there were 2,500 people approximately who took it, and I got the highest score. What, what year was that? 19, um, 1993, I think. So out of 2,500 people, you got the best score. I did. And then I got top 100 in the country out of 75,000. So, yeah, I mean, I shot Yeah, those myself. two things don't say anything about you. <laughs> you know, it's funny that it's been a long time, obviously, since this happened. And people still pick up on that. I'm like, guys, I've achieved a lot of other things since then. This probably is not my biggest achievement. But, yeah, I mean, I, I know it sounds impressive. I was impressed myself. I was like, wow, I had no clue I was going to do that well. But, um, I mean, that helped. Of course, that helped my career. Yeah. That yeah. helped me to position myself differently yeah. at Apria because people looked at me in a different way. Well, they had to. I mean, you know, they, you look at somebody that says, I mean, you're not talking about a, a general population. You're talking about, about a certain specific population with subject matter expertise that, I mean, that to me makes it all the more uh, uh, great. Because these are all very sharp people that are taking this test. It's not, you know, the average bear out there. Yeah, and for me it was super hard because my English was bad. So I, I started with the well, dictionary. <laughs> yeah, but uh, listen, I'm, I'm glad I only did it once. Yeah. And of course I'm glad I did so well. But at least I, I, my biggest thing is wasting time. I would hate to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. I know a lot of people that take it, they have the goal of, you know, just taking it once and not having to take any part of it again. And, and certainly, you know, you've done that. You mentioned a couple of other things. I know that um, you do a lot of speaking. I do. Do you enjoy that? I do. I do enjoy it. Do you have specific topics that you talk about that, well, that, that you really get charged up about? Well, I mean, of course, I do a lot of technical um, um, presentations and doing business in the U.S. or doing business in a different country um, or some technical tax topics. But I've done um, some uh, speeches on just um, development for women and um, how to make it in the business world, or how to um, become successful. And I mean, I, not just for women, but I've done quite a few for women because um, there are women's organizations that sometimes approach me and they want me to speak. So I, when I, would I, can, th I would think that would be extremely valuable for them to have you come and talk about your experience and uh, give them advice and mentorship uh, through your talks. I would think that'd be incredibly valuable. Thank you. And I really enjoy it. And I speak from the heart and from my own yeah. experience. I, I don't have to make anything up. Um, and, you know, when I can help, I'm, I mean, I'm very happy to help. Well, you've been a leader on many, many things. You know, I'm looking at your bio and it, uh, there's not time enough in the week to talk about this. But, you know, 2011 Leadership Atlanta program, um, receiving the Metro Atlanta Chamber's 2011 Global Impact Award for service providers on behalf of uh, Aprio. Mm -hmm. And you know, chair of the 2013 Counselor Ball. I mean, there's a lot of things there. Is there anything that uh, that stands out for you um, more than others out of the, all the things that you've achieved there? So as far as experiences, I would say Leadership Atlanta experience was unbelievable. How so? Um, it, it's, it's an unbelievable program. You um, in a class with 70, 80 other executives, people who have achieved a lot already. Um, you just 
have you're given such a different perspective on life there it's not about business it's about what's going on here in atlanta and things that i've learned there and the relationships that i built they're just invaluable and and i'll tell you when i heard about leadership atlanta from different people they said oh it's the best thing we did and this and that and i was like there must be coach to say that you know because everybody was so passionate yeah. and i feel exactly the same way it's not easy to get in into the program. Um, yeah, you have to be referred and somebody has to uh, sort of vouch for you. Is that right? You, ha- you have to be nominated, but then even then it's hard to get in. I was lucky to get in on the first try. I, I think what helped me in addition to other things is, you know, being Russian. They never had a Russian hmm. um, um, classmate. So I, I really, really strongly recommend it to people who already achieved um, certain um, level in their profession and, and they they want to learn more about the city and what's going on here and also make an impact. And you've also written a lot of, uh, in a lot of publications. Uh, do you enjoy that? Um, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I can say I definitely enjoy s- speaking more than writing. Why is that? Um... I mean, I just like to engage with the audience more. When you write something, you you don't know your readers, right? Um, It's different. It's a different vibe. Um, And, you know, when you write something is already in writing, whatever is written is written, right? When you are speaking, you can deviate depending on what people want to hear and what they're interested in. Yeah, so you can adapt. There's that word again. Right. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. How... What sorts of clients uh, are you looking for at this point? I mean, is there a certain, uh, are there certain metrics associated with mm-hmm. it, the uh, clients that you want to work with? Well, um, really, any any company, um, since obviously I'm in charge of international practice, any company that is going global, already global, um, any company that is coming to the U.S. already here, that will be perfect clients for us. Um, and as I mentioned, companies that actually want to do something with, with their business, mm. grow, um, introduce new products, um, introduce new services, new geographies, these are great clients for us. Um, and, and they're great fit for them because we can definitely, definitely help them. Do you get a lot of clients as, as a result of your talks and your, your speaking or uh, as a result of your writing? I do. I mean, I, I not, not enough, of course, but it's never enough, right? But I, I, I do. Yeah, there's an old saying I just made up, Yelena. I have room for one more client. <laughs> yeah, I think they have room more than just one, one more client. And um, But yeah, I mean, definitely I get I get quite a few um, um clients through speaking engagements and writing and also I mean a lot of referrals come from other service providers so the best referrals always come from clients yeah yeah that that certainly uh, that certainly bodes well how has your business evolved over the years I mean you've been at this for 25 years what what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen well it's much more complicated the law is as you know i know we always hear about simplification right it's not simplified at all i mean this yeah, who new, is it simple for yeah <laughs> the, the tax reform that took place in 2018 it's super complicated um so it's good for us of course that we we can provide more services but it, just learning it and understanding the law is very very hard so i'll tell you um 
the biggest challenge is to stay on top of all the changes that are happening. Um, and, you know, of course, because we, we are so international, dealing with people from different cultures and um, understanding the, even the sales cycle with different cultures. Like if we, are, uh, we have Japanese practice, for example, we have Chinese practice, it, you have to be very patient to secure companies out of those countries. Um, it's, you know, when you're dealing with the UK, you, you may meet someone today and they become a client tomorrow. You know, with China and Japan, no, it takes a long time. Why is that? Why, why do you think that is? It's cultural. Uh, for Japanese, I would say also they're very loyal to their service providers. So even if maybe they are not getting the best service, they will still doubt, you know, making a change. Mm. And you really have to earn their trust. And, and, and I would say with Japanese and Chinese in particular, you have to have their native speakers, people who were born there, dealing with them. They really, really value that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's different, um, and we 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 strategically hired people from different. Sometimes people come to us because they know we are very international. They come to us. They they want to work for a company that represents so many global clients. But sometimes we strategically look for um, employees from particular places like Japan, China, Germany. We build German practice. Russia, of course, we have Russian practice. Um, so it's um, it's definitely much more challenging than it used to be, but it's more fun. Yeah. You've been invited on the show because you've been successful and you've also been favorably introduced by another Tuesdays with Corey Guest. Tell us in a few words what sets you apart from your competitors. Um, well, I'm very motivated for sure. And I think... My clients who look at me, they know that I, you know, I've gone basically from ground zero, right? And especially foreign clients, they appreciate the fact that I'm I'm not from here. I had to adapt myself, right? I had to learn how to be here, how to um, acclimate myself. But also, I'm very passionate about what I do. As I mentioned several times already, um, I love what I do. And I'm a good business person. Um, I'm not just a tax advisor. I can give a good business advice. And um, I mean, I've done it for many years. Yeah, uh, certainly anybody that uh, has you as an advisor, I think, is in a great, great position given your history and success. Uh, Thank that's you. the one thing I would say. If there was some advice that you could give the younger version of you, what would that be? Even younger. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I will tell you, when I got here, I was very, um, I was shy and I was doubting myself because, you, you know. You were shy. I was shy. You really did say that. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, and part of it is also growing up in a different country and the whole sure. culture. Oh, sure. Um, women were not necessarily business leaders in the Soviet Union. There are quite a few now, but not back then. And I was very um, unsure about my value, uh, the fact that my English wasn't good, um, the fact that I haven't grown, you know, I haven't been here for very long. I, I would say try to 
put these things behind you. If if I'm if going back, if I would change something, I would at least attempt to be more self-confident and have sort of understand my value at the time because I I mean I had a lot of value I had a lot to bring on the table but because I had those obstacles with the language sure. you know culture coming here from a different country um, I, I think I was just very unsure and I, I think another thing is that women sometimes they feel like there will be more obstacles for them than for men I, I mean, I hear it from different angles and different people. I, I, I've personally never felt that way. I think you should believe in yourself. And I think no matter what gender you are, you should be able to achieve the same results. So just believe in, in your value and um, know that if you give your best, you can sky's the limit. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. I, I would say it is true. That's one of the reasons we have the show is so we can extol the virtues of successful females and and talk about the contributions that they're making to their communities, uh, to their organizations and industries. And certainly, you know, you've done that. Uh, if there was a young lady that wanted to take a similar path that mm-hmm. you've taken, what would you tell her? Um, first, again, believe in yourself. Don't think that, oh, I cannot do this because of that or because of this or because of my upbringing or maybe I grew up in a poor um, family or maybe I'm the first person who went to college in my family, right? Believe in yourself, but also um, create a vision for yourself. Kind of try to see where you want to be in five years, ten years and um, try to have fun. Yeah. with that you have to enjoy it and if you cannot have fun with what you do you have to change careers yeah. it's a long life hopefully for everybody and you need to enjoy um you need to enjoy your career i think it's the only way you can be successful if you enjoy it i think you're right about that yelena uh Yelena Apova, you've been a tremendous guest here. And if the listenership wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Do you have an email address or a phone number to call? Yeah, of course. Or a um, website? We do have a website and all, all of the all, everything that you mentioned. So it's www.apro.com. And my phone number is 404-898-7431. And email address, of course, is yelena.epova at apria.com. Y-E-L-E-N-A dot E-P-O-V-A at A-P-R-I-O dot com. Yelena, you've been a, a tremendous guest. Uh, you know, congratulations on all of your successes and all the obstacles that you've overcome. Uh, we wish you continued success and thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you.